Welcome to Speaking Candidly with Candace, where we talk in depth with everyday people about their fears and challenges and how they have overcome them. I'm your host, Candace Schoner, and I hope over the next half hour, you'll be enlightened, engaged, and inspired to live your best life. Today, I'll be talking to Catherine Covion, a former application systems analyst at UVA Health Services and a volunteer at Cruciform Life International Ministries. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you, Candy. Thank you so much for coming and sharing your story. Um, Catherine regularly blogs about her battle with metastatic breast cancer, which is stage four cancer, also known as stage four. MBC is breast cancer that has spread to another part of the body, mostly commonly in the liver, brain, bones, and lungs. Is that correct? Yes. And nearly 30% of women diagnosed with early stage breast cancer will develop metastatic disease. In the United States, 116 people die every day from breast cancer. And you have survived it for? Four years. Four years. Yes. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, I want to jump in because with the recent article that you read in Better Homes and Gardens about breast cancer and the survivors. And you had some pretty strong reactions to that. Can you explain? Yeah. And I'm not a person who usually has strong reactions to things. But I opened up the article. Of course, it was October. It was Breast Cancer Month. I figured there would be something about breast cancer in the, the magazine. Um, and they had a, a nice article uh, featuring women of all ages and stages, is what it said. Um, and I was excited to read that. It seemed like probably a good approach to breast cancer. But when I read it, they featured five women and not a single one of them had stage four cancer. And that was shocking to me. It's not like they had three people and they could only feature a couple of stages. They had right. enough that they could have had someone from every stage and they just left the stage four women out. And that is kind of indicative of how the entire country deals with stage four metastatic breast cancer. They want to erase us, to hide us away, to not publicize the statistics about people getting stage four breast cancer that early detection doesn't actually help you survive longer, still 30% will go on to develop stage four cancer. And pretending that that's not true doesn't mean it's not gonna happen to you. So that article really incensed me um, because 116 of us are dying every day and that number is not changing. I'm just very passionate about that. Well, and I can understand that and I can see why. I mean, you have been living with it Tell, tell our listeners how you first discovered breast, your breast cancer and, and when that happened. It happened when I was 31 years old. I started having a pain in my left breast and I didn't think it could be cancer, but I was a little bit concerned about it. Um, I went ahead and got it checked since I worked at the medical center. That was pretty accessible to me and on my mind to do, which I think um, was a blessing. Um, it turned out that I did. I had stage two breast cancer. Um, and I also found out that I have the BRCA2 genetic mutation, mm. which we didn't know my family carried. Um, my, it came through my dad, we eventually discovered. And it turns out that both of my siblings have it as well as me. Um, 
and that made me high risk for ovarian cancer, for some other cancers. Um, but thankfully, the cancer was not in my lymph nodes. Um, I did do chemo to try to reduce my risk. Um, at the time, they told me if I did the chemo, I could reduce my risk of recurrence to 15%, even though the statistics show that 30% of people go on to get metastatic cancer. So I'm not sure where the 15% number that they gave me came from. But I did the chemo, and then I thought I beat cancer. You know, I'm a survivor. Um, I was being checked frequently because I had the BRCA mutation. And then in 2015, I started having pain in my back, which everybody has back pain, right? right. <laughs> um, and I had switched to a new job and a new chair, um, but I'd had the pain on both, in both desks. Um, and so I thought maybe it's not related to my posture or, um, and went and had some imaging done and they found out that it was cancer in my spine. Do you think that you, because of working at the hospital and also the bracket gene in the family that you were maybe thinking it might be cancer? You wanted to make sure that it was not and then? Yeah, every time you have any kind of symptom, <laughs> big or small, once you've had cancer, you start to think that that must be cancer coming back again. So they had, I, I contacted my oncologist um, and they said they could either send me to an orthopedic surgeon to have it looked at or they could do some imaging. And I knew I didn't want to go to an orthopedic surgeon. Mm -hmm. I was just concerned that it might be cancer. And I went with the imaging. Well, I see that um, you seem to be living a very fun life. Mm -hmm. And I imagine that is, every day is a gift, mm -hmm. I would think. Yes. Um, and your husband is very supportive. Yes, he's wonderful. He picks up all the slack at home when I don't have energy to cook or clean or do much of anything sometimes. He's wonderful taking care of all of that for me. Because you had to recently quit your job because you just couldn't, you weren't well enough to, to work. Yeah, um, even after reducing my hours, I didn't have enough energy. I would have to sleep all weekend just to be able to have enough energy to go into work. And being an analyst, I had to use my brain a lot and I dealt with a lot of brain fog and chemo brain, they call it. And I just felt like I couldn't do a good job anymore. And I also didn't want to spend the rest of whatever time I had left sitting in a cubicle. Um, you mentioned, or I mentioned earlier that you have a blog mm -hmm. and you talk a lot about your experience with cancer and I assume it's to help others, but you also talk about your faith in God. Mm -hmm. Have you always had a faith in God? I have always had faith in God. Um, I was raised in a Christian family, but I think my faith was first tested when I went through a very difficult divorce um, and a future that started to look nothing like what I had planned. When I was young, I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom, homeschool my children, bake my own bread, um, be married forever. And then by 27, I was divorced didn't have any children um, and then eventually would go on to find out I couldn't have children because of the cancer. Um, so life didn't turn anything like what I had planned but I saw God's faithfulness through all of that that he was there with me and that my faith only grew stronger by going through those hard times and I think that prepared me then for the new hard time that I would have being diagnosed with cancer and then finding out I couldn't have children and then being diagnosed stage four. Um. Well, when I first met you, we both volunteer for mm -hmm. an animal rescue group. 
And you always have, a, I noticed one of the things is you always have a smile. Oh. Which, which is incredible considering what you have gone through and what mm -hmm. you're go continuing to battle. Mm -hmm. And it's impressive and I think it's inspiring that you, you do that and you also continue to live a very full life. Mm -hmm. Even, you know, being exhausted from the chemo and things like that. Um, I want to read a post that you put on Facebook because I, I particularly liked it and I want you to comment on it. Okay. You said, and this is back in October, October 28th, mm. right around Thanksgiving, 2019 has been a really hard year. I see everyone counting blessings today, and I am just not feeling it. But sometimes you have to tell your heart what to do, that despite the circumstances, you're going to rejoice and give thanks to God. So I celebrate today's holiday in that spirit. God is worthy of praise, and I will give it even if my big tree isn't blooming right now. Have you ever lost your faith in God? Thankfully, I have not. Um, sometimes I would be mad and think that I wasn't getting what I thought I deserved. Um, there was a time when I wrestled with God and said, well, I did everything right and I'm having a terrible life. <laughs> um, and then I had to realize that I thought God was like my genie in a bottle, that if I did what he wanted me to do, then he would give me the blessings that I wanted and that's just not how it works and when I I realized that that um, it's not the blessings here on earth that are worth working towards it's his presence and getting to know him more and that's eternal and never going to change then I was able to have faith in him no matter what it looks like here because this isn't all there is I believe I'm going to live forever um, in some state and this is just going to be a little blip in time. Yeah. You also do a lot of giving back as a volunteer of Cruciform Life International Ministries. Mm -hmm. I think I got that right. Yeah. Tell us about that organization and your, and your efforts in volunteering and why you do it. Sure. Well, I first started reaching out um, when I was going through the divorce. I had read that if you're going through a really hard time, you should try to help others that that helps get your focus off yourself and really put your troubles in perspective. And so at that time I reached out to an organization that was local to where I was living in North Carolina and they helped with orphans in Guatemala. And so that was my first experience going to another country, seeing what it was like in the rest of the world. And through them then I went to Uganda and I fell in love with Uganda, um, Africa, and quickly started sponsoring some children there and then wanted to expand um, got involved with one specific person um, and his family and siblings and sponsoring them and recruited my family and my in-laws to sponsor children there. And then it just grew and grew. And now um, we've started an official nonprofit organization. We do feeding program. We do medical ministry um, because the hospitals there don't provide care like they do here. Um, we do a lot of child sponsorship. I think maybe about 70 children sponsored now wow, through the organization. Yeah. You should be very proud of that. I mean, that's quite selfless. I mean, you're obviously going through a very difficult time. Yeah. Um, the last time that you got checked for cancer, it had not spread. Is that correct? Right. I've been able to be stable and on my same um, treatment plan since 2015. And what is that treatment plan? What does that look like to you? I take two drugs um, every day. One is called Ibrance, and it was um, an FDA fast track approval drug because it was so promising. Mm -hmm. um, and it was approved about 
four months before I was diagnosed stage four. So I feel like God provided that drug for me by getting it fast-tracked and approved in time for me to ta start taking it. Um, and then the other drug is called Femera, and it's a drug that's been around for a long time. We're just adding the ibrates on top of that. Mm -hmm. um, they both block hormones in my body, since my cancer is hormone receptor positive. Um, it responds to hormones and is fed by hormones. Hmm. So I had my ovaries removed, and then I take these drugs that block estrogen in my body. When you first got your first diagnosis of breast cancer, eight years ago, what did the doctors tell you about your prognosis? <laughs> it's very interesting to think about now that I know everything about stage four. They said, well, it was, it was confusing at first because they have you meet with a surgical oncologist and you don't realize that that's what he is and you're waiting to find out if you're gonna have chemo because that's what everybody wants to know. Right. Are you gonna lose your hair? You're going to be sick for months. Um, and I, I was never getting that information. It wasn't until after my surgery then they transferred me to the medical oncologist, and he, de he dealt with that stuff. And so he had said, um, because of the BRCA, I had a 50% chance that it would come back, even being stage 2 with no lymph nodes involved. And if I did the chemo, that I would have the 15% chance of it coming back. And so being a data person, I thought, well, 50 to 15 is a big difference, and I think I should do it. And so I thought 15% chance, higher than most people mm -hmm. because of my BRCA gene, but still not something I could live with. Right. In reality, I guess it was 100% chance it would come back for me. I mean, that seems to be prevalent when you start with breast cancer and it does come back, doesn't mm -hmm. it, for most people, mm -hmm. unfortunately? I mean... Yeah. Um, how has it affected your family life and what you're able to do? And, and you know, most of us create bucket lists. Mm. Do you have one of those? I was never a bucket list person. Um, I kind of just take it as the opportunities come and try to seize those. Uh, I have to constantly remind myself to seize the day. Um, I actually have a ring that I often wear that has those carpe diem engraved right. on it. Yep. Um, but I do, I've become passionate recently about seeing all the national parks, mm -hmm. wanting to do some of the travel. I think it's pushed me where I tend to procrastinate and be like, I can take that trip later. Now I realize like I have to do it now or I may not have later or I may not feel well later to do it. Um, now the cancer has caused me, I haven't been able to go back to Uganda in a few years. Um, travel is hard because of the back pain right. where it's, the cancer is in my spine. Um, but I think it's given me permission to put myself first, or maybe not even first, but, but maybe a little higher on the scale yeah. than what I normally would, yeah. um, and advocate for myself and choose to do the things that I want to do. But my day-to-day -day life looks very different. I find that there are a lot of people, it's really hard to get to know when they try to make small talk with you. They might say, um, oh, so where do you work? Right. That's everybody's first question. True. And if I tell them I don't work, they're like, oh, maybe you have kids at home that you have to take care of then. No, I don't have any children. Oh, well, that's the life. I want your life. Oh, wow. You know, and I would probably respond the same way to someone who told right. me that. But then I usually have to disclose um, that I have cancer. And then a lot of people feel awkward and don't want to talk to you anymore. Um, well, what would you say to people um, in that situation who do feel awkward when you say you have cancer, is there a, 
response that is more acceptable or is there something that sort of you feel like is inappropriate for people to say? Um, I, I don't really feel like there are many inappropriate responses because I believe everyone should respond the way that they choose to respond. But my hope is that they would realize I don't want them to be awkward. It's, it's something hard I'm going through, but I still am a normal person. <laughs> I still right. can be a friend. Um, I don't always talk about cancer. I don't cry all the time. I'm, I'm a person, not just a diagnosis. I think that's very important and it's well said. Mm. Um, it's, it's like labels. You don't want to be labeled the cancer patient. Exactly. And I know recently you lost a friend mm. and a fellow patient to cancer. Yes, and my dad. And your dad. Mm -hmm. So is that why 2019 was one of the hardest years you've been through? Yeah, I actually lost three um, people to cancer this year. Um, the hardest, of course, being my own dad who um, was diagnosed with mesothelioma a year ago, actually, like today, and then died within six weeks wow. of it. Um, and then I lost the closest friend that I had that also had stage four cancer. She and I really connected, and she died um, in March or April. And then we lost um, someone that was my best friend's father as I was growing up, um, also to cancer. He had had cancer for about 10 years, but he just kept living and living and living. And so when he finally did die, it was a little bit of, you know, a shock. Yeah. Um, and then we had a friend that was murdered just a few weeks ago. Oh my God, I did not know that, I'm sorry. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because you're only 40, right? Yeah. Am I correct? <laughs> yes, just that this is, year. That yeah. is a lot for someone of your age and being so young. Yeah. Um, I'm quite a bit older, so it's, you know, people talk about getting older and dying more often. Right. Nobody in my age is talking about that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, but yet, you know, you are using, I think, your experiences to help others. I really try. And I do find that all of my experiences allow me to be able to relate to all kinds of people. You know, if you're out of work, I can relate because I'm not working. If you've been through a divorce, I can relate. If you've had a terminal illness or even just like a chronic illness that you have to deal with, I can relate to that. People who haven't been able to have children, I can relate to that, you know. But it's not usually the surface things that first come up with people. Right. So once you get to know them a little better, you can find that you do have a lot in common. But I like how you had said that you can still be a friend. When mm -hmm. people first meet you and then you go through, well, I don't have a job, I don't have yeah. kids. <laughs> and then there's this kind of like, well, let me just tell you I have cancer. And then people act awkwardly. Yet you're like, but I'm a person and I can still be your friend. So I imagine that having friends is a huge support in addition to your husband. Yes, yes. I couldn't do it without having friends. And even, I know it's awkward even for them um, sometimes. A lot of them have children. So they have to re remember to include me when they might have a play date or something like that. Um, because I don't have children for their children to play with. Right, right. Um, but thankfully, God's provided especially one specific friend who is not in the same circumstance as I am, but also most likely won't be able to have children um, and deals with some chronic health issues. Mm. And I mean, we were friends before, right. but it's nice to have someone that you can relate to. You know, not only is there the emotional challenges of, of having cancer, but I imagine there's also the financial aspect. Mm. How Definitely. are you able to take care of that? 
if you don't mind me asking. Oh, no, that, no, that's fine. Um, thankfully, because I worked at UVA, I then had um, long-term disability, which has been covering about 60% of my former salary. And thankfully, my husband has a job, and um, he gets insurance through that. But figuring out the bills, paying the bills, um, figuring out which insurance to take each year, I have no idea what to do. I feel like I just kind of close my eyes and point at something, and that's what we go with right. because it's so confusing. Um, I wish there were more resources out there to help people decide on insurance and figure out how to pay for things. Um, but there are copay programs. So two of my drugs, um, I also have an injectable drug that I forgot to mention earlier. That Ooh. drug costs $5,000 wow. each time. And then the daily drug that I take um, is $10,000 a month. But both of the companies that make wow. those drugs provide copay programs. And if you're commercially insured, it doesn't matter how much you make, mm -hmm. you, can, you can be approved to get this copay assistance. So for the $10,000 drug, right now the copay is zero. And for the $5,000 drug, the copay is $25. Wow. Yeah. But for people without insurance, what, what can they do if they get a diagnosis? I mean, it's got to be almost impossible to treat it. So what I found out, I do go and I share my story of cancer with Pfizer and because they make one of the drugs that I'm on. And what I found out through working with the people at Pfizer and some of the other drug companies, they work really hard to make the drug available to everyone who needs it. And if you are struggling to pay for it, get in touch with a Pfizer rep or contact the Pfizer program. And all, almost all the, I think, the pharmaceutical companies do offer this. You just have to go search for it. Mm -hmm. um, but I haven't heard of anybody who said they could not get their drugs that needed it. Great advice. Speaking of advice, what would you tell somebody else who gets a diagnosis of breast cancer? I think what I would like them to know is that it's not the end of the world. You're still going to have good days. You still can enjoy your life. It's a lot different than it used to be as far as treatment goes. You're not going to have to have chemo immediately and lose your hair and be sick all the time. You're going to have side effects, but they most likely won't be debilitating. Um, just to have hope. We don't know what other treatments are in development right now. Um, the FDA, I was able to speak at an event with them. They feel that we are close to making cancer a chronic condition. Um, now that doesn't mean that everybody is going to make it until that happens. Um, unfortunately, some people don't respond well to treatments. Um, and the average life expectancy is three years. But I know women now that have been living 15 years right. with metastatic breast cancer and they still lead active lives. And if you looked at them, you wouldn't say that's a cancer patient. Right. Um, and you can still find good things even in a terrible diagnosis if you look for them. So what are some of the good things in your life? Let's, let's try to be positive here. Share a few positive things. Sure. Well, I, I love my dog <laughs> and spending time with her every day. Um, I, in metastatic breast cancer even, I had found a gift, which was my sister, who's also the BRCA2 positive, um, was kind of just monitoring for breast cancer. And when I, because we thought if they found it, they could just remove it and then you know, she'd be fine because they, they would catch it early. But because of my metastatic diagnosis, she realized that she should go ahead and just have her breast removed prophylactically um, to prevent the cancer. 
and I count that a gift that she hopefully will never have to deal with breast cancer. Yeah. Um, but just having more time and being able to meet new people and having something to write about on my blog as an English major doing data, I never had a chance to write anything. Right. right. Um, I found a real outlet doing that and all kinds of people I would never have met because yeah. I have a platform now. Right, and you, you did, you said you spoke to the FDA, you spoke to Pfizer. Mm -hmm. I go to support groups um, around the country and share, get to know women, um, be a mentor to women who are newly diagnosed. Um, and then I get to do my work in Uganda. Right. And right. I get to show them in Uganda that it's not just people in Africa who have problems, people around the world have problems. Um, but it's how you react to your problems. Absolutely, mm -hmm. and you've reacted Extremely positively, I think. Through even the grace of God. <laughs> through the grace of God. Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask two more questions, I mm -hmm. think. Um, one is, what would you tell your younger self, say at age 10? Mm -hmm. Now that you've gone through all the things that you have up to this point in your life, what would you say to that 10-year-old child? I like this quote, <clears throat> excuse me, from While You're Sleeping. She says, her dad told her, life doesn't always turn out the way you plan. I just wish I knew at the time he was talking about my life. <laughs> so your life's not gonna turn out like what you have planned. So don't focus so much on planning everything out. And also you can be every, anything you wanna be. Right. There's a wide open world with all kinds of careers and jobs. It doesn't have to be just the few things that you have personally experienced in your lifetime. Yeah. I know a lot of us, me included, fear getting cancer. Mm -hmm. You've, you've obviously have it. Mm -hmm. um, do you have other fears? Is, do you have another bigger fear? I'm afraid of birds. Are you really? <laughs> yes. Did you watch the movie The Birds? No, Is that why? No. Well, don't watch that if you have a fear of birds. No, I won't. <laughs> really? That's, that's an interesting fear. Yeah. No, but a serious fear would be that um, I lead a life that doesn't have a purpose uh. and that doesn't make a difference. Well, you are making a difference. I can tell you that. Thank you. Um, I want to thank you for being so candid mm. uh, with me and the audience. And is there anything that you want to add, any resources that you can tell our listeners of where they can go to get support? There's um, Pfizer Oncology Together is a great site if you're on a Pfizer drug. But also if you're looking for a support group, um, there's Facebook groups that are support groups and they are really great resources, especially if you just have a question, you can reach out to other women that are dealing with the same thing. And I'd like to share your blog because I think your blog is a wonderful resource. Mm -hmm. So could you give the listeners the address for your blog? Sure, it's catscloserwalk.blogspot.com. So K-A-T-S-C-L-O-S-E-R-W-A-L-K.blogspot.blogspot.com. I want to thank you for being my guest. Thank, thank Catherine Cuvion. So for appearing on this podcast and sharing her story. Truly inspiring. This is Speaking Candidly with Candace. And remember, every cloud has a silver lining. Mm -hmm.